The Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark. Three quarters of a millennium ago today, December 15th, 1270, the siege of Gerdka ended. Gerdka's in Persia, uh, a thousand-foot-high rock with a big castle on it that's impervious to direct military attack, but sieges are a different matter, if you're patient. Gerdka was a fortress of the Nizari Ishmaeli state, and it was useful for collecting taxes from all those traders passing along the Silk Road. And then the Mongols showed up in the spring of 1253. Seventeen years later, the garrison at Gerdka finally surrendered for want of clothing. They'd been holed up at the top of the mountain so long their kit had disintegrated. Uh, The Mongols accepted the surrender and then killed everyone. I was thinking a 17-year siege is hard to imagine these days. Uh, But then I think of all our years in Afghanistan and the camps outside of whose perimeter no Westerner dare step. Happily, uh, these days, the clothing holds up. I did three hours on air for Rush yesterday as the Electoral College cast its vote, so if you've yet to listen to that, that's where all my observations on what I think I call this hellish peaceful transition of power are to be found. All that's happened since then is that the quote-unquote president-elect or if you prefer, first gentleman to Her Excellency Dr. Jill Biden, gave a speech. And given that upwards of 60 million voters do not accept that this was a fair election, it was not a noticeably gracious or embracing speech. But I wonder how many even noted the content at all, as the dominant impression was the delivery, an elderly man peering with beady eyes at his prompter, and interrupting every third word was a persistent hacking sound that surely made much of his audience wonder who's really going to be running this show. Shortly beforehand, Mitch McConnell pronounced Biden the winner, and Mitch is a very important person, at least until, oh, around 7pm on January 6th. Oh, and Bill Barr quit. I mentioned on Rush that he had been reported as describing President Trump as a, quote, deposed king ranting. And either that had been the final straw for Trump or the deposed king's continued ranting had been the final straw for Barr. Uh, I I don't know how I feel about uh, the sudden departure of Bill Barr, although I would have preferred it if uh, the president had just gone full Trump and uh, put Corey Lewandowski in as attorney general for the last month. If you're one of those gullible types who's looking to the Durham report to lower the boom on Comey, Brennan, Clapper... <laughs> oh, my, uh, my, my apologies. I'd... I'd meant to edit out the involuntary convulsive laughter before broadcast. Um, But if you're one of those gullible types who's looking to the Durham report to lower the boom on Comey, I can't 
won't say it again. If you're one of those gullible types who's looking to the Durham report, don't worry. Fox News reports that according to, quote, a federal law enforcement official familiar with the investigation, special counsel John Durham is busy expanding his team and making excellent progress. Uh, Durham remains full steam ahead, the source told Fox. So expect his report toward the end of Kamala's third term. My New Year's resolution is to give up investigations. A new strain of Chicom 19 has been identified in England. As the poet Ted Hughes remarked in another context, over the cage floor the horizons come. Through the cage bars of a locked down world, the horizons stretch further and further. Oh, say Dr. Fauci in America and Professor Pants down in the UK. Maybe we can loosen things a little in mid-2021. Oh, no, here's a new variant of the evolving virus. So uh, maybe 2022. By the way, when they mention COVID and 2022, that's code for... Yeah, the uh, U.S. midterms are going to get stolen, too. As I speak, an hour or three, hence two thirds of England's population will be placed under tier three controls. That's the highest level of lockdown. Tier three means no contact with anyone from outside your household. So unless you're already shacked up with a hottie, no bonking or even heavy petting, or even light petting. Uh, In a non-sexual context, you are forbidden to have any friend or relative come and visit, uh, even if you keep her outside in the garden for the hour or two she's there. They put the lockdown in, they take the lockdown out, in, out, in, out, they shake it all about. The constantly shifting lockdown is in some ways worse than the initial clampdown back in the spring. Oh, you can open your restaurant for two weeks at 25% capacity. Ah, but now we're shutting you down again. Oh, but if you can stick it out for another two months, we might let you reopen at 12% capacity for a week and a half. Government workers have not lost a dime through any of this. They're, quote, essential and you're not. If you're a teacher, you can sit at home and be paid all year because whenever anyone raises the possibility of reopening school, your union says, oh, no, 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 we can't risk a five-year-old super spreader infecting a 28-year-old kindergarten teacher. Uh, The gulf between the security of government work and the insecurity of real economic activity has never been greater. Here, Anton Van Happen of the restaurant Nick the Greek jeers at the state functionaries tormenting him for alleged breach of public health rules. Are you going to pay my rent? I did not break any, and there's not even a law, I did not break any rule. 
The concept of paying rent, making payroll, doesn't exist for them. Uh, uh, to modify Bill Clinton, they don't feel his pain, and they are happy to advertise their lack of empathy. I'm thinking of introducing a COVID false positive of the day feature on the Here's one from Vienna. A member of the Austrian Parliament gives a speech in the course of which he performs a lateral flow COVID test on a glass of the well-known beverage Coca-Cola. Den Patienten unter Anführungszeichen handelsübliche Cola. Und ich darf jetzt den Test insofern durchführen, dass ich äh, dieses Cola nehme. Und, und what do you know, the Coca-Cola comes back positive. Und ich darf sagen, Herr Präsident, wir dürften jetzt ein Problem haben, weil wir haben einen positiven Corona-Test im Parlament, äh, nämlich. Has the entirety of Coke come down with the COVID or is a Diet Coke Corona negative? Uh, there used to be an excellent carbonated beverage uh, in the United Kingdom and other parts of the Commonwealth called Corona. I haven't seen it in a few years, but I remember with special affection the dandelion and burdock. I did not realize, however, that Corona could actually affect rival brands of pop. As they used to sing in the 70s, I'd like to buy the world a Coke and keep it company. Chairman Xi has bought the world a Coke and is keeping it company indefinitely. Our rulers, for that is what they now are, have no ideas except lockdown, modified lockdown, loosened lockdown, re-lockdown, extra tight lockdown, supersized lockdown, lockdown plus. We have a one-size-fits-all public policy that, aside from anything else, doesn't protect the most vulnerable, who just get slaughtered in the old folks' homes when killers like Cuomo in New York and Charlie Baker in Massachusetts decide to warehouse corona patients in the senior care facilities. Uh, Governor Baker has just done it uh, again because he didn't kill enough people first time round, apparently. Um, this is the TSA running every aspect of life. And like the TSA, once it's up and running, it's here to stay. Uh, absent mass civil disobedience, uh, as uh, I called for uh, on Rush yesterday. But it was one of Mrs. Thatcher's great insights. Once you create a bureaucracy to deal with a problem, you never get rid of the problem and you never get rid of the bureaucracy. Uh, you just manage the problem. 
in perpetuity. Can't get enough of America's undocumented anchorman? SteinOnline.com is your one-stop shop for all things Stein. Catch new episodes of The Mark Stein Show. Sit back and experience features like Stein's Song of the Week and Mark Stein's Tales for Our Time. Get the most of Stein Online by joining the Mark Stein Club, a global community of people just like you. The show never stops for members of the Mark Stein Club. Head on over to steinonline.com club for details. The Mark Stein Club presents The Hundred Years Ago Show. The Germans lose their guns and their colonies. Parlez-vous Esperanto? No thanks. And Plymouth Rock splits again. It's December 1920. A hundred years from today. Your world news update. The messy aftermath of the Great War continues. The Treaty of Versailles requires all German citizens to hand over their firearms. The period for voluntary surrender of guns has expired and the Allies' Disarmament Commission has now ordered the military to begin a house-to-house search for weapons throughout Germany. Germany has lost its overseas empire in its entirety and the Supreme Council of the League of Nations has now granted mandates over certain former overseas colonies to various British dominions. South Africa has been given a mandate over the former German Southwest Africa. Australia will govern the former German New Guinea and Nauru. And New Zealand gains control of Western Samoa. are in the market for an army. The British Secretary of State for War, Winston Churchill, has told the House of Commons that the United Kingdom will withdraw all of its troops from the Sultanate of Persia before the end of 1921. One must remember that one is dealing with Orientals, said Mr Churchill, and the Persians, as well as others there, move slowly. But we have had to say to them that we really cannot stay any longer and that if they do not by the spring get their own forces ready, then they may take it we are leaving indefinitely. Felix Zerzhinsky has reorganised the Soviet Union's intelligence service to create a foreign intelligence section of the Cheka secret police. An 8.7 magnitude earthquake has killed over 234,000 people in the Haiwan area of China's Gansu province. The earthquake struck at 5 past 8 in the evening local time and killed over 73,000 people in the city of Haiwan, as well as 30,000 in Gaiwan and 20,000 in Longdae. King Constantine of Greece was forced to abdicate the throne three and a half years ago on June 11, 1917, following the freakish death of his son, King Alexander, from a monkey bite 
And then an overwhelming victory in the recent plebiscite. Constantine has now made a triumphal return to Athens, arriving by train at the Lavrion station to be greeted by thousands of supporters. Waiting for the sunrise, and maybe this new League of Nations will be the breakthrough that ushers in the bright new dawn. The League is acquiring some new members, Austria, Bulgaria, Finland, Luxembourg, Costa Rica, and somewhat to its surprise, the Principality of Albania have all been admitted to the League. However, the League Assembly has voted against the admission of Georgia, Estonia, Lithuania and Latviana. And the application of the First Republic of Armenia was not considered, as the government of that First Republic was deposed just a few days ago. In the United States, Plymouth, Massachusetts is observing the 300th anniversary of the landing of the Pilgrims in their ship, the Mayflower. A day ahead of the celebrations, movers wrapped the so-called Plymouth Rock in chains uh, to transfer it to the site of the official observances outside the old colony theatre. The rock split in transit along the same fault lines that split it in half in 1774 and kept the rock in two pieces for over a century until 1880. This time round, the rock was cemented back together once it had arrived at the old colony theatre. Following its successful election night news reports, the United States' lone commercial radio broadcaster, Westinghouse Electric's KDKA in Pittsburgh has now begun America's first daily radio programming. You ain't heard nothing till you've heard it from a box in your living room. Say, when I call, she takes my hand, but you ain't heard nothing yet. And, and in the hall, we act as friends, but you ain't heard nothing yet. When we talk about the weather, then we cuddle close together. That's great. But wait, you ain't heard nothing yet. She's got such charm, such curving arm, but you ain't heard nothing yet. And I can't wait until the date when I'm married to my pet. We'll have such cute things running round our bungalow, you bet. We'll first commence with a picket fence, but you ain't heard nothing yet. You ain't heard nothing from the League of Nations in Esperanto, and it looks like that's how it's going to stay. Ten of eleven delegates to the League of Nations Supreme Council voted in favour of publishing League documents not only in the two official languages of English and French, but also in the so-called universal language of Esperanto. However, Monsieur Gabriel Anato chose to exercise France's veto power and declared that, 
Quote, as a member of the French Academy and representing a very beautiful and old language, I ask that our French language should defend its rights against any imposition of new languages and new creations. Following a meeting with Sir Charles Bell, the British emissary to Tibet, the Dalai Lama has now given permission for the very first expedition to climb the world's highest peak, Mount Everest. Sir Charles telegraphed the Viceroy of India, Lord Chelmsford, to say that the Dalai Lama understood the wish to explore Everest and the necessity of travelling through Tibet to do so. And that's The Way of the World, December 1920. Oh, you know what this music means. Mark's Mailbox is on the air. I'm always interested in what Denise O'Leary has to say. I last saw Denise in Ottawa, oh, I guess about a year and a half ago, back before they closed the border. So who knows when uh, I'll be seeing her again. Denise writes, the really interesting thing about whatever happened in the US election is the way the old money billionaires of the Republican Party just point-blank accepted it. They couldn't wait to get rid of Trump. And so now there are tens of millions of Americans today whom no party really represents, the working poor. No one now wants them, but they are out there and alive, and they are actually Americans, and they do have a genuine right to vote. They can, of course, let the old money Republicans fundraise off the punishment they'll all take over the next four years, or they can consider other options. Let's see what happens. That's true, Denise. By the working poor, you mean, as someone put it a couple of years back, uh, the fella who lives across the street from the drug dealer, the people who are trying to hold it together even as every other element in society, the media, the education system, the judiciary, the political class, are incentivizing the guys who are trying to pull it apart. Those working poor provided Trump's margin of victory in 2016 in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, mainly because the Democrats had made plain they didn't want him. They prefer a more exotic base of immigrants and boutique sexualities and whatnot but also because Trump spoke to them in a way that Jeb and Marco and the rest really didn't. I'm not sure uh, Trump did speak to them this time, or at any rate, not quite so explicitly. Uh, but as you say, Denise, the not-quite-post-Trump Republican Party is in an indecent haste to get back to servicing its donors on crappy old Koch brothers, open borders stuff and corporate tax loopholes and endless unwon wars against trivial non-enemies that tell our real enemies they've got nothing to worry about on that front. Oh, uh, by the way, I wonder if for their 100th birthday in July next year, that's uh, seven months away, the Chinese Communist Party are planning on bringing Taiwan back into the family as the ultimate present for the man who has everything, Chairman Xi. And what would Joe Biden do about that, I wonder? And what about uh, what what would a uh, a donor-serving Republican Party do about that, I wonder? 
Sometimes a multi-party system ceases to reflect the real divide in society. Now, that happened in America in 2016 when the establishment decided a choice between the wife of the 42nd president and the son and brother of the 41st and 43rd president would suffice in a republic of 300 million people. It happened in Britain when uh, David Cameron felt he could safely hold a Brexit referendum because every party from the Tories and Labour to the Scottish Nationalists and Sinn Féin was pro-EU. It happened in France in 2002 when the political class assumed the presidential race would be a choice between Jacques Chirac and Lionel Jospin, which is no choice at all. And sometimes the system adjusts Uh, Then to reflect the new realities, the present divide in France between Monsieur Macron's globalist technocrats and uh, Madame Le Pen's cultural nationalists is, I think, a pretty good representation of the dominant philosophical split in the French population. Likewise, if you can only have two parties, as the American system seems to insist, then a choice between globalist Democrats and culturally nationalist Trumpers would seem to be the obvious one. Instead, from all the signals emerging from the swamp, the great Beltway Uniparty seems to be assuming it's back to a choice between globalist Democrats serving their base and globalist Chamber of Commerce Republicans serving their donors. Uh, That is a choice that leaves millions of Americans, possibly a majority, out in the cold. And in a self-governing society, they have the right to look elsewhere. And indeed, if they wish to remain a self-governing society, they have a duty to look elsewhere. Mark Stein's Last Call As you know, I never felt my colleagues on the right quite found their messaging when it came to ChaiCom 19. And although the left would have tried to hang it round President Trump's neck anyway, the right didn't exactly help itself on that front. Releasing COVID upon the world was an act of war by Beijing. The new kind of war, which doesn't involve tanks and cruise missiles and that old fashion kind of stuff. We know from 20 years in the Hindu Kush that we're not terribly effective at the old kind of war. It would be a shame if we were to be equally unserious in the new style of war. It doesn't matter whether the people Chairman Xi kills would have died in three months anyway or in three decades. The fact is they died when they did because of the lies of the Chinese Politburo. So on the Mark Stein Show, we remember them because they are the first victims of the new way of war, as surely as, say, the dead of Pearl Harbor were for America in the old way of war. Among them, is the first black superstar of American country music, Charlie Pride.
Charlie Pride's first ever single. But even if it wasn't, I'd have played it anyway because Mel Tillis came up with a hell of a title. The Snakes Crawl at Night. What a title. When the sun goes down, the sneaks will play. I'm looking at you, Fulton County. Dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 86. A country music legend, Charlie Pride. Carol Sutton was an actress you'll know from supporting roles in big films like Steel Magnolias and The Pelican Brief, but what she really liked to do was live theatre in New Orleans, the city she lived in her entire life. Her screen career and her love of Louisiana came together in Cane River, a film that was basically lost for three decades and forgotten because its director, producer, writer died immediately after completing the picture at the age of 42. Cane River is set in one of Louisiana's first so-called free-coloured communities. No whites, just blacks. And it's about the tensions within those communities between the lighter-skinned property-owning Creoles and the poorer, darker-skinned people who work for them. I want to make you take a bath. Been riding that old smelly horse, and God only knows what happened. And I don't want you to see him again, Maria. Now, do you hear me? Why, Mommy? He's a nice guy. Because he's a matoire, that's why. Now, what does being a damn matoire have to do with it? Your great-grandmother owned the Melrose Plantation, right? An African woman who owned slaves. Because we don't know our own history. Dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 76, actress Carol Sutton. What happens when a sports team, a franchise, as they say, dread word, moves? Moves to another country. The Nordique du Quebec, the Quebec Nordiques, started with the most glamorous of coaches, a true hockey icon. Maurice Richard, but he quit after two games, deciding coaching was not for him. And thereafter, the Nordiques sputtered along as one of the northernmost major league sports franchises in North America, and moreover, a northernmost major league franchise in a unilingual francophone market, which Anglo hockey players were reluctant to go anywhere near. Eric Lindros said the idea of moving to Quebec City scared him. In the end, the team moved to America, to Colorado. In what sense is it the same team? The history was left behind in Quebec. The stadium, Le Colisée, was left behind in Quebec. The unilingual French announcers were left behind in Quebec. The blue and white uniforms were left behind in Quebec. And all the fans were left behind in Quebec. And virtually the only institutional link between the old team and the new was the Perlin Quebecer, the Quebecois de Souche, who headed south to launch the Colorado Avalanche 
General Manager Pierre Lacroix. If the people of Denver didn't know a lot about hockey, Pierre Lacroix made them learn fast. They started winning and winning right away. And then to win that Stanley Cup in year one, people quickly figured out who Pierre was. Lacroix was the general manager of the Quebec Nordiques, who would become the Colorado Avalanche in 1995 and bring this city its first major sports championship a summer later. He won two Stanley Cups, nine division titles, and his team advanced to the Stanley Cup playoffs 11 straight seasons. Tom. Steve, if you were here in 1995, he built a team that turned Colorado from 95% of people who in June of 95 knew nothing about hockey to 95% of people who couldn't wait to watch the game that night in Detroit or Miami where they won that Stanley Cup. Uh, that belonged to him, that team that he built and what it meant to hockey and hockey fans here in Colorado. I would imagine a lot of people saw the name ROY and didn't know how to pronounce it until, oh, maybe like January of that year. Then all of a sudden everyone knew that was Patrick Waugh and that was because of Pierre Lacroix. Yeah, that deal 25 years and one week ago, we will all miss Pierre Lacroix. Colorado knew nothing about hockey and Pierre Lacroix knew nothing about Colorado, but they took to the Avs and he took to them, dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 72, a Quebecois hockey exec who helped a new American team to a Stanley Cup in its very first year, Pierre Lacroix. Two years ago, King Maswati III announced he was renaming Swaziland Eswatini, which means Land of the Swazis. Uh, to avoid confusion with Switzerland, Swaziland, Switzerland, easy to get them mixed up. And so the first person to be appointed prime minister of Eswatini was King Maswati's second cousin once removed, I think I've got that right, Ambrose Manvulo Dlamini. Mr. Dlamini was the youngest prime minister in Swazi history. And when the COVID got going earlier this year, he was keen to demonstrate that he was taking charge of the crisis. Following the command by His Majesty King Mswati III and Ingwenyama to declare the outbreak of coronavirus as a national emergency, government has extensively consulted to, uh, to roll out uh, the, rel the relevant structures that will implement the National Emergency Plan. These include a National Emergency Management Committee, which is a cabinet subcommittee that will be chaired by the Deputy Prime Minister, and a National Emergency Task Team that will be operationalized, will operationalize the implementation of the response plans. Ambrose Dlamini's committee has, by African standards, a pretty good record on the CHICOM 19, but alas, it could not save the Prime Minister. On Sunday, he became the first serving head of government on the planet to succumb to the Wu flu, dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 52, Swazi Prime Minister Ambrose Dlamini. <laughs> in Croatia. Damir Kukurizovic was the most famous jazz guitarist in Croatia. 
and an occasional political candidate for the so-called far right. Here he is with his Django group and a spirited romp through a little tear-rimmed in Croatia today, dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 45, guitarist Damir Kukurozovic.
for today's show. I will see you on the telly with Tucker on Wednesday evening. And just ahead of that, Laura's links will round up the internet for you at Stein Online. Stay safe, stay free. Join us next time for another edition of The Mark Stein Show. The Mark Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and OK Media. All rights reserved.